right up really high, everything gets squashed and we can't really hear things and everything starts sounding a little bit smaller. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Session Recall podcast. If you're new to this podcast, this is a place for anyone who is looking to develop or sustain a career within the music industry. If you're a musician, if you're a studio engineer, studio manager, and just looking to develop your skills and knowledge in the music business and navigating the music industry, and hopefully this podcast will be for you. So Nick's currently on his way back to Wales, so we're going to be on sessions for the next couple of weeks. And we've got a couple of interviews lined up in the near future, which hopefully will be rolling out over the next couple of weeks and months. This is just going to be a solo episode from me today, so it should be, hopefully, it should be pretty short. So the focus of this episode is really for musicians and artists who might be starting out their career, like looking at recording themselves and mixing themselves. And it's just a little bit of advice and tips that I wish I kind of had when I started my career in the industry. So this is going to be split up into about four tips. I'll try and keep this as quick as possible. Let's just get started. So tip number one. You don't need to buy expensive equipment and you don't need to get that expensive upgrade as soon as possible. This is sometimes known as gear acquisition syndrome, which a lot of the consumer grade and entry grade equipment is really good. It's actually fantastic now compared to what we had maybe 10 years ago. So brands like Focusrite, Audience, um, Universal Audio, Antelope, all of this stuff has some really good entry level equipment. For example, Audience, they have their ID range. They might preempt on those sound cards have actually been lifted from their large format consoles. So like these consoles cost 40,000, 50,000 pounds and it doesn't cost them any money to actually just take the technology and put it into their sound cards it's already been developed and they're really good the audience mic pre's we actually use in the studio we got 16 channels in the eight channel preamp racks that you can get um you can pick those up for like 200 quid 300 quid second hand they actually can actually expand into some of the low level sound cards via adat they're really good preamps use them all the time never had an issue in quality one of the things i would say is that when i started out i probably started out doing live sound and I remember I was doing work experience in Club Eidelberg in Cardiff and whilst I was working with them I was also running an open mic night at the same time and I bought a few bits and pieces of equipment nothing really high end it's actually pretty budget stuff and I remember talking to them they asked me how the night was going I said well I'm really struggling about it. I could really do you know I could really do with a couple of compressors and EQs or like um outboard EQs and compressors and reverbs and I remember them just saying to me he's like look having that information having that equipment is all well and good but you're going to learn a lot more by just dealing with what with the equipment that you have and working with what you've got and learning from that rather than just buying the next piece of uh, next piece of equipment just for the sake of it and it really stuck with me is actually when i started my new studio i was in the same position in a way i was like always wanting another eq always wanting like another outboard compressor i remember always thinking oh this is what i'll need to take get myself to the next level and everything and i invested a decent amount of money for converters and onto mic pre's and these are all bits and pieces that i was still using in Rockfield, I could take to Rockfield, I still use Nebba Vale. I remember it wasn't until I started working with Nick, I opened up a couple of sessions in Needers Vale, just to listen back to some previous sessions thinking, oh, I just want to see how how bad my recordings were. I remember opening up the session, just listening back to the recordings and thinking, this sounds great. It was actually, there was nothing wrong with the equipment I had. And there's always this thing was like, oh, if only I had this 1176, or if only I had some Neve EQs or some Neve mic freeze, everything would be better. Just to say, like, learn with the equipment that you've already got. Don't try spending tons and tons of money just for the sake of it. And I've seen instances where people have spent thousands upon thousands of dollars or pounds on equipment, but they're not quite at a level where they fully understand how to work with everything. So just get the basics right first. And that can be really, really important. From a studio perspective or a business, 
business perspective, musicians don't care about equipment. You see all these websites with like, you know, I've got 1176, I've got some Avid converters and everything. The most important part from a business perspective is the final sound and the output that you actually get. That's more, that's all that like musicians really care about or bands really care about. I don't really have anyone come and saying, oh, have you got a U87 vocals or only recorded a U87? As long as it sounds good, no one minds. So again, Try working what you've got. The most important element I would suggest if you're going to prioritize on anything is your speakers. Um, get a decent set of speakers. They don't have to blow the budget. And then think about the acoustics of the room or like think about treating your room as you can as your first point of call. Building on from that, so obviously I've said that we don't need to spend tons and tons of money on equipment. We don't need to think about upgrades. If we are going to think about something, say we're thinking about mixing, we're thinking about recording, the room is probably the most important element for recording. Good performer, a good musician can play, like get some really good sounds out of recording, but the room will play a biggest impact on the sound, the overall sound that you're going to get. A lot of people might be recording in untreated rooms and that can have a negative impact on the final sound and the output of it. And similarly, when we're coming to mixing, one of the difficulties that we sometimes have is that there might be peaks and troughs that build up to certain frequencies in a room if it hasn't been, if it's been untreated. One of the things I would recommend, if you can afford to either build your own panels or buy some acoustic treatment for the room. And that can have a really good impact on the output of the mixes that you're doing and improve the quality of it. And it also, especially when it comes to recording as well, this is something that becomes incredibly important for the overall tone of the sound of the room. We can kind of cover like frequencies, we control it like unwanted ringing in the room or something. That can be, that can be really beneficial. What sometimes happens, one of the things that we actually say in, in our courses is the bigger the room, the less of the problems we have are acoustics. And obviously for like, you know, drum kits, acoustic guitars, piano, sometimes we might want a lively room. But having that ability to treat the room or control the overall sound means that can have a massive positive impact on the final quality that we're able to get. Just to make another point is when I started recording, I didn't have the acoustic treatment available. I was using like a reflection filter for vocals and I was pretty adamant that I thought this was going to be a really good investment. I thought it was going to make a massive difference. But the one of the things I don't really mention about the reflection filters is the reflection filter is going behind the microphone. So it's actually stopping like reflections coming in from the back, but it's not really doing anything about the what's being picked up in front of the microphone. And sometimes that's where the actual issues can come and come from so for the podcast i'm just using a dynamic mic uh it's like a sure it's an adaption of the sure sm7 dynamic mics in this room like it sounds really good because the pickups pattern is really small so sometimes it's just like using the microphones that you have available for the room that you rate them to work in what i tended to find with the with the reflection filter i remember when i moved into the studio i was still using it in the live room i remember after a while just thinking i just want to hear what the mic sounds without it and i actually noticed that the the impact it had it didn't really have that much of an impact on it and for the sake of setting it up, taking it down and all the rest of it, it was more hassle than it was really worth. So I actually stopped using the reflection filter. And it was I was really more like focusing then about what was actually going behind the singer and actually having the paneling and the treatment for that to actually cover that point. We've also seen like with the likes of say like Townsend Labs, which is a modeling company, and they've recently been bought by Universal Audio. In their modeling mics, I think they've actually got an option for actually putting on a reflection filter to try and compensate for that because sometimes it can actually lead to peaks and troughs and stuff that which you may not want. Thinking about the room is so important in terms of the acoustics and how we actually capture the sounds as great as possible. In terms of treating the room itself, if you can get like self-built ones with rock wool or like some kind of like absorption material, that's a really good starting point because it's cheap to make. If you can avoid the foam stuff, yes, it's all right, but it's a pain. Honestly, it's an absolute pain in the ass. If you take it down, you have to move it. I'm sure my dad still hasn't forgiven me for using spray-on acoustic foam to stick to the walls in my parents' house where when we took it all down, it ripped the plasterboard off. Well then, John, not the most popular person. Uh, I would recommend like, you know, like real traps, GIK acoustics, 
there if you want just custom built panels and stuff and not the custom built but like specifically built panels these are really good they can like deaden the room make it really sound really good and it'll make a massive difference on the recording quality and also the mix quality of the room once we got the room kind of treated really well the next the other thing i'd also recommend like you could probably do this before depending on budget is obviously thinking about sonar works or ik multimedia arc or basically room correction software the benefit of these systems is that what they do is they take a measuring microphone and they run full frequency sweeps into the room to measure the response of your room in terms of are there peaks and troughs or there are there low frequency buildups or is there gaps in the frequencies that we might be missing and compensating for without realizing. So the idea behind the room correction software is we try and get as flat a frequency as possible for mixing so that when we take our mixes to the car, to other stereo systems, the mixes will translate. And that's really important because sometimes we're not sure what we're hearing. We don't actually know what we're hearing um, if we're not that experienced. So trying to get a balance between the rooms or trying to get a balance of the overall quality of the speakers can make a huge difference. And it's something that I would recommend trialing out if you can and seeing what you can do. So next point is mixing. Now mixing, when we come to mix, and this is a common thing that I've seen from teaching students, especially in Logic. Part of it is maybe to do with the speakers they're on. Often it's turn that shit down, turn that stuff down. And the problem being is with a lot of students, sometimes they might be listening on the laptop and trying to like make basically make everything as loud as possible because they can't quite hear it. So if we've got a decent set of speakers to actually monitor it at like a decent volume, it means we can actually record at a lower level. We can actually mix at a lower level, which gives us something called headroom. Now, headroom is really important because that's what actually gets the clarity in the mix. And if everything's right up really high and everything gets squashed and we can't really hear things and everything starts sounding a little bit smaller. I'm often seeing like logic mixes, especially where like the, in the master bus is going plus 10, plus 15. Ideally, we'd be like down at least 20 dB from there. So like down minus five, minus six on the mixes. Um, but as long as it's not clipping, that's the main thing. And as I said, the main issue sometimes is because the, what they're listening to isn't loud enough. If we send like a mix of this level to a mastering engineer, what would normally happen is we'd send it back to them and we go, this needs to be brought down. We need to take limiting off and we need to try and cover that because I'm kind of limited to what I can do because there isn't much headroom. Everything's squashed and I think we just need to revisit a mix. Okay, so the next thing that we actually do is this is actually a mixing approach that I'd recommend to people in the studio, also live as well, is actually doing the opposite of what you want to do. And this is sometimes when I'm doing like mix reviews from students and everything, they might say, I can't quite get my drums to sound as big as possible. I can't quite get the drums to sound like they're cutting through as well. What can we do? And sometimes I say, oh, send me the session, let's have a look at it. You open up the session, you still have the drums and go, drums sound great there's nothing wrong with these drums and all it is sometimes is like let's just turn everything else down let's bring the guitars down let's bring the vocals down the bass whatever's getting in the way and let's bring the balance out a little bit because i know like the habit is sometimes let's make the guitars really exciting everything needs to be really really high up in the le in the levels so having a listen to what other tracks are doing can be good as a reference point. And this can also this can also actually happen as well on guitars as well. So it might be all like the vocals. So say that you want to turn the vocals up, what you could actually do instead is maybe take the drums, the guitars, the bass, the synth, whatever other instruments are on the track, group them together and bring them down. So as we're building mixes, sometimes we might be doing like all big automation passes and lots of things going on. So it gets a little bit more difficult to start bringing things down. In my sessions, what I tend to do is 
on my mix template, I've actually got a set of channels which actually control like different elements of the mixes. So if I do need to bring like elements, say like I want to bring all the instruments down by the drums, I've got a fader that'll bring that down. I've got a whole instrumental part, which are the drums, guitars, bass, vocal, like drums, guitars, synths, whatever. Everything except the vocals, I can bring them down rather than having to send the acoustics up. So there's, there's little things that we can do to actually kind of counteract that and kind of get out of the way from recording so this can also happen as well from a live sound perspective when we're talking about doing the opposite of what you want to do if the bass isn't bright enough perhaps look at cutting some of the frequencies in a lower range to kind of um let make it less overpowering so then we could compress it a little bit more we could look at lifting it up and it isn't getting overpowered by the bass frequencies so these things are like try doing the opposite of what you want to do just might be like a counterintuitive way of doing it but it's also to try and counteract the like say like jim simon meatloaf song everything louder than every, having everything louder than everything else and what normally happen on mix changes is you go in I want the drums up, and the bass is good. The guitarists will go, oh, well, the drums are too loud, and I can't hear the guitars. And the vocals go, well, I want me up. And basically what happens is the track keeps building up like this. He's getting higher and higher, and then, well, that's no good to anyone because we're in the same issues from before. That's something to think about if we can. And so just trying to kind of balance that. So rather than tuning the guitars up, try bringing like the other instruments down to that level, and it might give you a better mix from there. The final point again, so when we're on about mixing, we already mentioned it a little bit. This kind of comes about from conversations that I've had with artists who are self-producing or self-mixing. They find themselves going around in circles and this is like kind of a natural part of the mixing process. You will be going around trying to fix things or highlighting things and that might then bring out other problems that you hadn't noticed. So you might be doing a lot of drum mixing and then going to the guitars thinking, well, the guitars are getting lost a little bit. And then that might be right. We're going to bring up the high end of the EQ or something. We're going to bring up some of the mid range of the guitars out. And then that's kind of masking the bass or it's masking the synths of the vocals. So what we're doing is we're going around quite a bit and we're making changes. It's a bit of a fluid process and sometimes it's hard to know when to stop. One of the things we could do is thinking about like taking breaks. We could bounce the track off and come back to it. Biggest difficulty is sometimes getting tunnel vision and the regular breaks and having like moving away from the song will be like a beneficial thing to do. And sometimes it could be that like we've got too many, too much processing on the song as well. So that was more or less like kind of the, the, the areas I wanted to cover today. So just to recap, we have, you don't need to spend all that extra money on, you don't need that extra bit of gear. Try holding off or pushing off for as long as possible. What you have or like investing in one or two bits of pieces of equipment to begin with will be good and some of the budget entry equipment is amazing and it's really good quality and it's not going to hold you back or impact on the recordings focus right scarlet's the audience id range universal audio if you've got a higher budget all of these have excellent preamps in and they're not going to stop you from recording where i would recommend you spending your money first of all if you can is spending money on your room and thinking about acoustic treatment foam the foam traps I wouldn't recommend. Maybe go for the other, like, you know, maybe try investing either building your own or buying some panels from someone like GIK. And the other part, obviously, is talking about, like, room correction software because that can actually make a huge difference. You've also got, like, headphone modelers or, like, ones where we can look at, like, headphone ranges. So the Slate VSX is meant to be really good. Sonarworks also gives you profiles for head certain headphone types. So I've got them for my PXCs, my Sennheisers, and my 770s, which I use normally when I'm mixing for testing. When we come on to mixing, turn everything down. We don't need to be at plus 10 plus 11 or whatever bring everything down like the, the headroom is really important for the, the volumes when it comes to mixing as well try have a go at trying to admit, like do the opposite of what you're meant to be what you want to achieve so if we want the drums louder try turning everything else down if you want the vocals to come up try bringing the guitars down and again try doing the opposite so if we want the if we want more bass in the bass take some of the high end out or vice versa take some of the low end out to try and extenuate some of the high frequencies and finally with mixing as well take regular breaks 
it's fine to be cyclical. You will be in a process where changing one thing will happen to have an impact on something else. And that's a natural process of it. Again, when we're talking in the studio with bands, it's one of the things we have to educate people sometimes and well, look, if we impact this, this is going to have an impact on the other bits and pieces. So it's just a conversation we have as we go along. So hopefully that's been, been some useful advice for you guys. Let me know what you think in the comments. If there's anything you don't agree with or any like tips or advice that you could give to new musicians or artists who think about recording themselves, let me know in the comments. Drop us an email at podcast at sessionrecall.com. If there are any good ones, I will add them to the comments on YouTube. If you think this episode would benefit someone else, please tag them, please share it with them. It would mean the world to us. We will see you all again very soon. Bye-bye.